Welcome to the Women of Wild podcast, where we explore what it means to be a woman. We will be discussing real life challenges from being a daughter, a wife, a mother, a single mom, and beyond. We're two friends living very different lives. One is married with all girls. The other is divorced with all boys. We're perfect bookends to speak from opposite perspectives on all the things. Our mission is to search out the heart of a woman and to pour into you wherever you are with real life wisdom, actionable steps, and application of the topics we discuss to continue our self-development into a wild woman. That is a woman of wisdom, impact, love, and dignity. So let's go. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are going to be talking about some foundational truths about the Enneagram. And the reason we're going to touch on the Enneagram as a tool to gain insight about yourself, about others, and about God is because we've mentioned this several times in prior episodes, and we did a little poll and found out most of our listeners do not actually understand what the Enneagram is or how it can be useful. So we just thought we'd introduce it. Um, do a very foundational introduction. We're not going to go in too deep because the Enneagram is a very complex system with lots of books published on it and lots of programs and courses you can take on it. So we're just going to stay really surface level today and talk about, you know, what it is, how it's useful, how we can use it. We're going to put a ton of resources in our show notes. And um, so here we go. Let's just talk about what the Enneagram is. So, um, Sally and I both have our numbers. We know our numbers. We've played around and studied um, enough to probably talk about the Enneagram, but probably not enough to teach the Enneagram. So we've pulled a bunch of resources, and we're just going to be relying on those things that we have been listening to, podcasts, books, and other articles that we have found online that we believe have good authority and We tend to follow the faith-based Enneagram speakers, um, and not all of them are faith-based. You can find secular speakers as well, Um, but we tend to find those that line it up with biblical truths, and uh, so that's where we're going to be launching from today. Most of, if not all, of the resources that we're going to be unpacking today are going to be faith-based. So let's start with the very basic question. What is the Enneagram? I don't even know how to answer that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's a hard question. It is because it's so much to try to put in one sentence because all of a sudden all the novels that we've ever read about this is like, how do we put that in one sentence? But basically it is a personality typing with nine different numbers and the way that it works comparatively to let's say Myers-Briggs or the DISC which a lot of people understand know and have heard about is uh, that it's its core understanding is about our motives so it doesn't just get to our personality type but our motives behind the things that we do and so that's what sets the Enneagram apart, I believe, to Myers-Briggs or DISC. But you have more experience with DISC. I I don't know that one very well. Yes, that one is a little different. It's, and a lot of times it can be a little more focused on how you are in the workplace. I think you can use it in personal life, but it 
it's geared, I think, a little more towards business. But I, with the Enneagram, one of the things I like about it, and I'm a personality test junkie, like I've taken probably all of them. I'm just fascinated by it because I just don't understand how taking an assessment can tell me who I am so well. I'm always amazed at the results I get. Right. I think it's interesting because although we're unique and how God created us, we do have similarities with a lot of people out there. And there are, we're all connected in a similar way in that sense. And I like that it makes me feel less alone and more connected to people. And the Enneagram, I've just found that to probably be the most useful personality test that I've taken in helping me understand why I think some of the things I think, why I do some of the things I do, why I don't do some of the things I should do in my mind, all those kind of things. It really has helped me become more self-aware and and grow and see where I need to challenge myself because of just how I am wired. And it's okay that I'm wired the way I am, like trusting that this is who I am and this is how God made me, but it does present um, certain strengths that I carry, but also certain challenges that I need to just be aware of so that I can push myself a little bit in those areas. Go back to the beginning when you first took the assessment, when you first heard about the Enneagram and you took the assessment, how did you feel about it? Did, because I had a, a really strong reaction to it. I was offended by it. I was, uh, I felt so exposed, you know, when I took the, the test. Um, well, actually the first time I took the test, I mistyped because I was in a very unhealthy mindset. Um, and we'll have, we'll have in the show notes, uh, one of the free tests that I kind of recommend online. And there's actually two different tests that you could take. Um, on that link. And so you you could take the test if you have never done it before. It'll be in our show notes. You can check that out. But I can tell you that the first time I took the test, uh, I mistyped. And then I didn't really dive in deep. I didn't listen or think about it much. And then about a year later, uh, I was in a much healthier mindset. I took the test again. And I think it accurately assessed me, but I was highly offended. I hated having a label on me. I felt like I was being boxed in, that um, all of a sudden I'm like every other person that assess under this number, which made me feel like, oh, I have a fingerprint. I'm unique, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't like it at first. I was, I had, I had to have a, a little fight with myself and the Enneagram to dig in a little bit. How were you when you first took the assessment? I think that also has to do with your personality because I'm a nine, I'm a peacemaker, and we are understand that we are all deeply connected. And so for me, it just enhanced that connectedness. That's funny. It really is. And maybe that's why I like personality tests anyway, because I find it fascinating in a connecting way to other people and myself. And it helps me connect better with other people's other people if I can understand myself and them better like I want all my I've had all my family take it anybody I'm close to I'm like what is your number so I can understand you better yeah I did the same thing I sent the link to all of my family members and in my social group there was no way I was going to avoid digging in 
and figuring it out for myself because my social group is is really into the Enneagram and uh, amongst my girlfriends, it's inevitably going to come up in every single gathering. I mean, we went out for my birthday a couple of weeks ago and sure enough, what did we talk about? Almost 90% of the time was the Enneagram. <laughs> but it is really insightful. And that's the helpful part is once I could get past my ego and realizing that I do have flaws, lots of them. And those flaws are actually the things that are working against me. They're in me and working against me and I have control over them. That was, that was the part where I think it separated Enneagram from all the other personality tests that I took because it made me own certain things in a more growth mindset. Like, so just instead of understanding myself to be like in the Myers-Briggs, I, I had those personality types. Like I know I'm an extrovert, but there's nothing really I do with that. I don't take any action on that. Um, But here I understand that I avoid negative emotions and I, and I understand how that is a terrible thing to do both physically and emotionally um, to myself that I can't avoid these things that are they are in existence and I can't just keep snuffing them down. That's what makes the body sick. And so those are things that I recognized pretty soon after I got over my ego and then realized that there was a, is also a lot more grace for other people when you know what they're battling. So when you know what they're battling, what their fears are or um, the things that are holding them back, that understanding automatically gives you more grace for them. And I think that's, you know, I've heard in my social circle how marriages have been saved, just understanding each other a little bit better and owning it. Like, so when you hear somebody own their own stuff that they're bringing to the table, that's making the whole household upset. <laughs> that's really, it just infuses hope, you know, like, okay, now we have something to work with. And then you automatically want to give grace for that. You know, you don't, you want to be part of the solution of helping that person become free from that stuff. So, I mean, I think, I think it's a wonderful tool, especially for relationships to grow and nurture relationships. And I, I don't know what age actually that is. Do you? The consensus is online that our personality is fairly developed by the age of 10. So you wouldn't want to test before 10, but you would have to consider the child's ability to comprehend the questions and answer the questions from their own experience. So that might limit them from how well they could be assessed by the questions and the the testing. When my son Garrett took the test, he was 15. And I think it assessed him very well. And he's been very interested in the Enneagram. And so I think he, he, because you have to agree with it too, because it's not a perfect test. It's not a perfect assessment. And so when you test, you have to read the description of that number. And I always say the number before and the number after to make sure, you know, which one really resonates with you. Um, because the tests can get you in the ballpark, but it's not going to target your core perfectly. Yes, my I scored highest on nine. And the second one was two. And after I read the descriptions, I knew I was definitely a nine and not a two, even though I have some two tendencies when I could read like the descriptions and a lot of the things to relate to, I am a hundred percent nine. And it's funny how 
I'm reading this devotional right now. It's by Tyler Zach, and he's he's writing one for each number. He doesn't have them all finished yet, but it's called The Gospel for Peacemakers, and it's a 40-day, just little brief reading, and every day I'm kind of floored about how well I relate to it. (laughs) That's why the nine resonates with me so much is because everything I read about it, I can relate to very clearly. My husband is a three. And like you were saying in relationships, that has helped me understand him better and understand how I relate to him better and how he thinks and what his strengths and weaknesses are. And it helps me realize this is some of the way he is. Like I was sharing with you earlier before we started recording, threes don't really like dealing with emotional people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they struggle with that. It's uncomfortable for them. And so if I need like just some comfort or something, I need to tell him. And sometimes he'll look at me and be like, do you need a hug? And he will offer that. But it's like, he doesn't, if I'm upset or crying, that's uncomfortable for him. And it's helped me to learn that because I I used to think he was being kind of insensitive, but it's more, it's not as much about that as it is. It's just, that's kind of natural for him to be uncomfortable around. And he's worked on that and worked on being more comforting. But I can see that as he's trying to come towards me in a way that's uncomfortable for him. And I need to, and there's ways that I need to go. He's, he's an achiever. He's a hard worker. He can do more things in a day than I can do in probably like a year <laughs> because nines also have a hard time being super productive. That's a challenge for me taking action. And, and I need to like, when I'm doing well, I, I move more towards achieving things when I can actually take action and get things going. But it's so much harder for me than it is for him. So we all have different strengths and weaknesses, but it's, it's interesting and it helps us understand each other. My daughter's, I believe my oldest is a one. And my younger daughter, I'm not sure about her. She's taken it a couple times, but I don't know that she's taken it like and really tried to answer the questions that well. I think she got bored halfway through one of the times and said she just didn't answer. That's hard when you t- when you assess being mm-hmm. honest with yourself because there's so many different ways. It's not a it's not a right or wrong answer. You know, so no. that makes it like it's very like you know, if you're in a terrible mood, that might mm-hmm. affect how you test and trying to be super honest with the assessment in the moment, how you really normally are is really important to get a strong assessment. Yeah, I would guess she's somewhere between a two or a six, but I need to get her to take the test and actually really focus and try. <laughs> Why don't we do a little summary of each number so that our listeners can have a and, and you're probably, the listeners are going to probably identify with each one of the numbers, which you should, because the truth is, is we do have all nine numbers in us. And when you assess, you'll come up with your core number and you'll have a wing number. And like you just said, Sally, you tested really high for nine, but you also tested really high for two. And that's not even a wing number. So um, let's do a little description of each one. So my daughter, I believe, is a one, which is the reformer. 
they are often perfectionists. They're very responsible. They want to always be getting better at things. She's the type of kid that didn't care so much about the social aspect of things, but she would go to camp. She would go to training. She would do things just to get better at them. Not always maybe for the right reason, <laughs> but because they're performers. They want, they want to be good. They want to be the best. Um, and they, they're always looking to make things better. Things, they can struggle with thinking things are good enough. Um, they want to reform and improve and that that's they're they're driven people but they also one thing I do know is they're very black and white so if they make a mistake they're bad that's what they think in their mind if they do something well then they're good so the challenge for them is to be okay you know they're not going to be perfect all the time that perfectionist thing is tough and to learn to grow through mistakes rather than to see them as bad. That's a challenge. And I know she struggles with that at times. And, and she's done actually some work on her own. She's gotten better. But that's, it's hard because we all make mistakes. I can tell you in the dating scene, if I find out somebody is a one, that's the end of our relationship. <laughs> and that'll come out why. Because I'm a seven. And we'll talk about that when we get to the seven summary. But. Uh, yeah, I don't, I actually go to one when I'm stressed. You know, what's funny. She goes to seven when she's doing well. She and she, freed I, up. I see that in her cause she can have some fun and she can be crazy. And she, you know, I've, she's the one who was playing guitar on stage and skydiving and having some of those moments too. So she has that in her when she's not stuck in that mistake perfectionism mm -hmm. place, which she's really grown a lot in that um, and not getting stuck there like she did as much as a younger child. Yeah, the attraction to the reformer, the number one, is that um, they are always making things streamline and they're making order out of chaos. And so when I get stressed out, my go-to is to clean the house and organize. <laughs> so I, and, but then I take it to the extreme. I'll go perfectionist and I'll get micro focused on things, <laughs> which is irritating to yourself. You know, I annoy myself in it, but that's, that's funny because that's the attraction. That's why I go there when I'm stressed is because they make order out of chaos. And, mm -hmm. and, but as like somebody that I might be in a relationship with, I don't think it would feel so oppressive to be around somebody that has an expectation of extreme order all the time because I I don't I can't <laughs> not I'm not orderly by nature and I have piles and so yeah I know right off the bat that if somebody tests as a one I'm like okay so we're just good friends <laughs> and that's as good as this is gonna get so okay bye <laughs> do you know what number you would um be very compatible with um, most of the other numbers, but sevens generally are not great at commitment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on it. It's just growth thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Number two is the helper. Helper. This is what you mistyped or no, you type high at. As yes. The helpers need to be needed. 
So one of my absolute besties is a two, and um, I'm so glad that I know about the two, the helper, because it makes everything about her shine. So the twos are the hostess. They are going to host everything. They, um, they love to make other people happy. They live to make other like she likes to feed everybody. That's her thing. Uh, a two at a party is going to be the person that's going around to everybody at the party that's making sure they're having a great time and all their needs are met. That's a two. Yeah. And they're great. I mean, who doesn't want that in their life, right? Um, they always go the extra mile. So if, um, if I host a party, I'm like, let's have a potluck. If she hosts a party, she's like, I've got it. It's a seven-course meal. I'll handle it. <laughs> yeah. We all want twos as friends. Those are great friends to have. <laughs> and that's where, when I was studying it, I want to be that person, but I'm not. All like, right. I think I want to host the parties and feed everybody, but I'm not as good at following through in that. There's a desire there and there's a piece of me that can do some of that, but it doesn't come as easy for me. I definitely relate more to the nine. In fact, my husband, he's the three with the wing too. If people need something, they'll ask him and he'll do it. And he loves to help. I want to love to help, but I don't really. <laughs> I like to work with, I like to do relational kind of help, but not the physical. Making a meal or something. I used to sign up to make meals for, you know, friends who were sick or having a baby. And I was like, I can hardly feed my own family. I need to do something else for them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, when you need like to go out and have a good time I'm your girl but uh other than that I really don't know how to naturally be a helper it's I'll sit with you and cry I can do that I can listen but again I guess it's the action the taking action I struggle with that just even in daily chores so that doesn't come as well for me the helper mm -hmm. even though I'd like that idea <laughs> yeah yeah well, you give the summary a little bit more. You've talked about Sean being an achiever, the, the type three, but go ahead and give us a little bit more of a summary of what that means. Yes. They achiever. The biggest fear for them is failure. And so that's something I've, I'm aware of. And I guess I knew that even before the Enneagram, that was something he was aware of too, but there's a need to be validated in order to feel worthy. They like to be admired. They're super hardworking, competitive, focused. I'm, there's kind of a funny story. When we were um, first married, he was like, I'm going to put a sprinkler system in our first house that we got. And I was like, okay. And my dad growing up, he would always have these ideas, but he'd never actually follow through with them. But he always had all these big ideas. And so a few months later, we had a sprinkler system. And I was like, you know, I'm really impressed that you did that. And he was like, well, I said I was going to do it. And I was like, yeah, but I didn't think you were actually going to do it. <laughs> you know, like I'd never really lived with someone who had a, an idea and followed through with it. And he does that. If he has an idea, he, he puts it into action, which for me is a struggle. And so <laughs> he helps me get things done. And the goal for him is to be able to relax and even right now we're on vacation and 
I know he he doesn't like sitting around much. He needs to be busy and doing things. He's fixing things around the house that we're staying in. <laughs> and he was changing light bulbs this morning and he just likes to be busy and accomplishing things. And one of the other things I've learned is appearance is super important. He wears matching pajamas and that's important to him. Like <laughs> <laughs> That's so cute. <laughs> Like, like he actually cares and you're the only one that's going to see him. Right. I mean, in case he has to get up in the middle of the night and like, you know, fight somebody. He wants, he cares about how he looks and matches where I'm like, whatever. I don't know what I wear to bed, you know, just whatever t-shirt and pants I can find. <laughs> I mean, might have stains and holes. I mean, that would look like I was thrown away. <laughs> I know. And if they didn't match, I wouldn't care. Yeah. But it's just, it's funny how there's certain like. And I always thought that was silly about him, but it really, this is why it's for whatever reason that he has that. And he likes the house. If we have people coming over, it's way more important to him that our house looks nice and everything is kind of in order than it is to me. But it's helped me realize, okay, these are things that are important to him. But even though they're not important to me, I can know that it's important to him. See, it's so helpful to have that insight. It is. It's just a and, little tidbit. <laughs> Brings you guys. And, so it's funny. We're very different. But like I said, when I'm in a healthy place, I move towards the three and can actually take action and get things done hmm. and be hardworking. But it takes, it's hard for me to get there. It takes a lot of energy. He has a hundred times more of the energy do things and I do for some reason nines we just don't have a lot of energy and I get easily distracted by people he's focused on projects I'm focused on people mm -hmm. so if I get a text or one of the kids walks in or even he walks in I'm distracted and I want to go be with the people <laughs> yeah I can relate to that yeah where if he's working on something and this is something I've had to learn because I want to interrupt him and be with people be with him and he's if he's in a project I really need to leave him alone until he takes a break because that's what he's focused on and that's what's important to him in that moment. Mm -hmm. That's so good. All right, so the type four is the individualist. And what I learned about the type fours, I'm in a couple of Facebook groups that are for artists and I'm not a great artist, but I wanna be. So I'm in all these things that where they do all kinds of different art from sculpting and to painting to uh, even just rare forms of art, like rock stacking. And this group is really eclectic and, and lovely. And I did a survey in there <laughs> and almost every one of them were fours. So apparently a lot of musicians, artists, poets, writers are fours. They're very creative people. They see themselves as extremely unique, which um, apparently that's both their curse and their gift because a lot of times they, they need that individuality. They need to see themselves as unique, but that also separates them from, uh, from things that they will automatically separate themselves from uh, the common because the common is no good in their heads. Um, so they do kind of limit themselves. They, they are constantly recreating themselves and their identity. So they're creating their identity about the way they see themselves in the, 
in the way that they interact with the world. That's why artists, I think, are why so many are artists because that's the way they're trying to show their individuality. The creative side of them is so active that um, that's how they express their individuality. And so I think that's why, you know, musicians and writers and painters, uh, so many of them are artists. Uh, so many type fours are artists because it's a great way to show their individuality. Like, otherwise, like, how else do you show yourself to be unique? How you dress, what color your hair is, and, you know, those are things that set us apart, and that's really important to type fours. Do you know any fours? I do, and actually fours and nines get along well. And I think because I can have the patience for fours mm -hmm. at times, they can be one of the things I have got a very close friend that's a four, and she can be super fun and crazy, but they also can dip down into their feelings and melancholy, and they like to stay there. Mm -hmm. They can really kind of sit in negative feelings for a while or hard feelings or sad feelings. They really actually enjoy, I don't know if joy is the right word, but they, they like are kind it. of the opposite of a seven. Mm -hmm. You know, you say you avoid any kind of negative feelings. They actually embrace them and can, I was in a, a training recently and one of the guys teaching was a four and he said one of the things that strengths of four is like they can go into a prison ministry or something and listen to hard stories all day long and kind of sit in there with the people and they they thrive on that a little bit yeah and this friend of mine she's battling uh, breast cancer and it's been tough and I I reach out to her a lot and she doesn't always return like she might go weeks without texting me back and part of that is just she isolates and has to kind of sit in her struggles for a while alone but then she'll come back out and then she'll sit and I don't I've learned like I don't take that personally it's just kind of what she needs at that time mm -hmm. and so there's that was one of the things I learned about was they they almost kind of bask in sitting in that melancholy for periods of time and I and if you think about artists yeah, a lot of where them they do find have their inspiration kind of a dark side or mm -hmm. like a a melancholy side that they draw from to create mm -hmm. yeah I will say I don't know a lot about the five and I don't know any fives that I know of do you uh I've my son is a five my middle and so accurately on that more <laughs> yeah so the type five is called the investigator they are thinkers who tend to withdraw and observe they are natural researchers what they do the, a five a typical five when they buy a car, they're going to read the manual for that car from front to back. That's wow. a very typical five thing to do. They are really wanting to know everything about the thing that they are interested about. Uh, their core fear is being um, inadequate in their knowledge. And uh, so he wants to, when he gets interested in something, he will study everything he gets his hands on. So for him, he was at a very young age, opened his own business as a, um, a auto detailer, and he studied and studied and studied and self-taught himself all these great techniques for detailing cars and doing things like fixing the headlights when they go foggy, you know, because they're all plastic now, so they get the sun, you know, fogs them out. Um, he knew how to fix that and 
I mean, he does all the clay bar stuff. These are all words that only detailers would understand. But he went to the nth degree of learning car detailing. And now I understand why. Because, I mean, whatever he all of a sudden loves, skateboarding, whatever, he's going to study it, study it, study it. And, you know, this is kind of interesting because what most people that study the Enneagram believe is that you are born with your core. We can't, it can't be assessed until later, but that you're born with the core, the core motive, uh, personality trait. And I can say now knowing him as a five and then looking back in, in the ways that he would operate even as a toddler is almost spooky because he was the kind of comparing him to my other two sons. When he learned how to walk, he didn't walk early, but it was because he was observing and the minute he walked, he walked all the way across the house. <laughs> so he was not one that pulled up and like scooted around on the furniture. He scooted on the ground until he absolutely knew he was going to be able to clear the house. And that is so five. That was a five in toddler form. <laughs> they want to know that they know what they are talking about. So it's going to be rare that they ever open their mouth about a topic they don't know everything about. So don't ever debate a number five on anything because they know it. <laughs> they know it all the way around, in and out. Don't do it. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know of any fives personally. I mean, I'm sure I do. I just don't necessarily know um, their number. The six, the loyalist, I happen to know a lot of. I think I attract certain people or I'm attracted to certain people, but I have a lot of um, sixes in my life. And the thing I've learned from them is security and safety is super important and trust and distrust. They, they struggle to trust people. And that's an important thing that I need to be careful with. Like, you know, that's really important to them. Say what you mean, mean what you say, be clear. Um, they tend to think about worst case scenarios. <laughs> And they can, they have sort of a pendulum swing. And so they can go from trusting to distrust back and forth, depending on how they're feeling. Mm. They, um, they can be a lot of fun. Like, I think the friend I have, or a lot of them are sixes with the seven wing. So when they're safe, they are fun enthusiasts when they're in a, a safe environment, but when they're not, then it's, um, they can have high anxiety and fear. A friend of mine just studied the sixes. I don't know anybody directly in my circle. I'm trying to think, I don't know anybody that's tested or assessed as a six, but she studied um, the six in a book that she's reading recently. And one of the things that stuck out to her is that basically a six generally wakes up in a mindset that the world is a dangerous place to be. Yes. And so of all the numbers, she said it so good. She was like, if I know you're a six, I'm just going to hug you. I'm just going to go around hugging every six I can find and tell them it's okay. You're safe. Yeah. They She's do. a There's two. A <laughs> and I think that a lot of the sixes I know have past trauma. And I don't know if that is... I haven't done enough research to see if that's a factor in that development, but I 
I would guess that it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, yes, it's definitely, and the, it's so important. Like their core desire is safety and security and having that. Yeah. But then once they get it and once they trust you uh, as loyal as they can be, mm-hmm. they're, they're just yes. great, great loyalists. That's why it's called that super steadfast yeah. in their loyalty. So I would like you to share about the seven. <laughs> See, I already like feel exposed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The seven is entitled the enthusiast. It's also in other circles. It's called the adventurer. Um, so we are pleasure seekers. We are all about the fun. Um, and so if something is not fun, we'll try to reframe it as fun. <laughs> if we can't reframe it as fun, we will avoid it. Everything is about fun and exciting. Our biggest fear is being bored um, or the fear of missing out. So if there's fun being had, I'll lose my mind if I'm not part of it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the we're not the most responsible because of that. So because we're so guided by our fun and our hunger for fun, our priorities tend to be upside down. So in, in immature states, we're going to be very, very irresponsible with money, with our time, with our job. We're going to be irresponsible because we just want to have fun. And we're going to avoid the things that we perceive as interrupting our fun. But I'm part of some Facebook groups that are all sevens, which as I've grown. So I've been studying the Enneagram for probably five years now. And I can tell you that all the fun stuff that we talk about on there, and it's such a fun community because you feel like you can talk a language without using too many words because we all talk the same language. We all kind of have a lot of common experience that we don't have to use too many descriptions to to be understood by each other but I've noticed that the more that I do mature the better that I get at some of the weaknesses the less I relate to some of the uh, younger crowd in the sevens group which I see as progress that's progress so a lot of things that we kind of tend to do is avoid like since it's not fun we avoid negative emotions that was one I brought up earlier. So avoiding negative emotions is something that I became very uber aware of. And especially in the coaching circle, recognizing the need to process information. Also not natural for me to do that. So it's something that takes a great deal of energy for me to sit in my emotions um, and to also honor other people's emotions. Uh, I can be a great listener and I can be great at, um, at reflecting back. So a lot of sevens are great coaches because we, we can sit in other people's emotions and we can help them process because it's theirs. Um, but when it's ours, we tend to avoid it to the point of a lot of sevens are addicts. A lot of sevens are narcissists. These are the fun things that we have to be aware of. These are the pits that we can fall into. Um, but tend to be extremely extroverted. We're going to be the life of the party, usually the loudest and most obnoxious <laughs> when we're unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can also be very solution-minded and very creative. When we hone into our strengths and we work on our weaknesses, we can be effective people 
in the corporate industry. If we're not <laughs> healthy, we're probably not going to show up to work. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a seven in a box. That's funny. And I'm a, I'm a wing of an eight, the challenger, but I'll let you jump on the type eight. Well, if you want to share about that too, because I don't know. The only thing I've heard about challengers is oftentimes a lot of politicians, <laughs> presidents, and leaders are challengers. Mm -hmm. I, from the description here, I would guess Trump was a challenger, but I think also like um, some of the other just famous sort of politicians, leaders around the country have been challengers. Yeah, type eights are not afraid of confrontation. They actually are attracted to it. So it, they're called the challenger. Uh, they like to take charge of the environment. They like to, they're very great at leadership. Um, they're very strong-willed and um, energetic. So they're, they're usually very energetic, uh, high-strung people. Um, they do not like to be controlled. They like to be the one controlling the environment. Um, they tend to be dominating, dominating of the conversation, dominating of the energy of the room. I can say that they're very competitive people based on the people that I do know and myself. I'm extremely competitive to a fault. Um, challengers are also, we're not, we haven't talked about the triads yet, so there's some deeper levels. I'm going to try to avoid going to the deeper levels, but they operate in instinctive knowledge. Um, and they do, they usually are very on top of their game. So whatever their bend is, whether it's politics or CEO or of their company, they're usually the top of their game because they're so competitive they're going to make sure that they are the best of the best of the best so uh, i know that if if corporations started using the enneagrams the way they were using the myers-briggs or the disc to flesh out candidates for positions eights are going to be the ones that they're going to hire when they're in a high pressured position that has to be very decisive and uh, and competitive. Those are the people they're going to look for. They're not going to look for the nines. <laughs> <laughs> but you can have a wing of an eight, which I don't even know how that functions. That's true. I don't either, because that would not be my wing. But um, yeah, that's funny. So the peacemaker, nine, keeping peace and harmony, avoid conflict. That's, I would say, my greatest fear is like disconnection and conflict. And so that's, um, I avoid that at all costs, which, well, when I'm not healthy, I would avoid that at all costs. And to the detriment of like people pleasing, not speaking up, not rocking the boat, um, not voicing my needs, I don't matter, going with the flow, all those things are very, um, negative sides of peacemakers, but the positive sides are listening, seeing connection, making sure all people are heard, bringing peace, kind of seeing all sides of a situation. We can do things like that. Like, and I'm I'm calm and steady, and it's funny because I'm attracted to people like you of more energy where I've found that people like that are often attracted to me. And I'm like, but I want all that energy. And they're like, but I want all that calm. So <laughs> That's right. <laughs> there's, um, 
it's just interesting how we see ourselves compared to other people. Cause I'm always like, I want to be that crazy person, but I'm not. And, and I have friends and they're like, I want to be that calm person, but I'm not. And so it's, I'm learning to embrace this is me and I can be calm and steady and that's okay. Cause I used to always, I love the class clown and the crazy people. And, yeah. <laughs> and those are my friends that I'm attracted to and I get to enjoy kind of, and that's one of the, we can sort of enjoy watching them be crazy without having to do it ourselves. <laughs> oh, I'll just sit back and entertain you. <laughs> okay one thing I found out about nines when I was doing some research and you know how when you do a google search it'll give you like google suggestions like other searches that were similar and one of them was uh what is the most powerful enneagram number so you know I had to click on that and I don't even know what source it was who wrote this article but the number that they said was the most powerful of all nine numbers was number nine because you can bring all the numbers together to the table and get them to work harmoniously together. And that makes you the most powerful. Nice. <laughs> right. But that is one of the things I'm learning is, and I've seen this in my own life. I can get along with just about anybody. And I can have patience, even if I don't like them a lot, I can get along with people where I see like my daughter and my husband, they don't like certain people and they don't want to spend any time with them where I can, I can be okay with people I don't like necessarily. Mm -hmm. And I can try to see their side and the good in them where they won't even try doing that necessarily. (laughs) So is your wing a one? I think so. I don't know. I said so that would make sense because you are because you like to create order mm-hmm. in a in a way, but you do it amongst human connections. Yeah. Rather than just like, you know, disorganized books, you you create order in your mind that that's how you would fix the world is by making the right connections happen. And I am a connector. Yeah. That is one of my, Sarah, actually, a friend of ours, pointed that out to me. Because if you, like, tell me you need something or something's going on, my brain just automatically is like, oh, you could talk to this person. They know how to fix that. Or you could read this book. Or you could, I'm just constantly making connections to people and things. Solutions. Yeah, it comes naturally like that. Um, if you tell me something and I have a connection, I'm going to give you that connection. Right. <laughs> just... Yeah. That makes it... you the most powerful. You have all the answers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so jealous. Sometimes that can be a problem, but. <laughs> yeah. Try to sell that to your kiddos. <laughs> right. Yeah. They'd be like, yeah, right, mom. But <laughs> Well, that is all nine numbers in sum. So why don't we talk about how the Enneagram, and we kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier, about how the Enneagram is a tool and how it compares to other personality typing systems that can also be used like a tool, but a lot of us have heard about. The recent things I've done are like Strength Finder and DISC. DISC, I'm a S-I, and Strength Finder is just kind of list your top five strengths 
which fit well with the peacemaker but um and one of the ones i learned that made a lot of sense is adaptable i can really go with the flow and that can be an asset and that can also be a way of avoiding things <laughs> like this morning when we were trying to work on this podcast <laughs> i kept steering us off into different directions <laughs> Well, I think that that's kind of funny because we we come to the podcast recordings having had experiences this morning, yesterday, we have stuff coming up tonight, and we're not always in this clear mindset to just come and flow smoothly. Sometimes we are really rattled by life. And this morning, I think it's just funny to to even see how a nine and a seven came to the meeting this morning to try to get on the same track to try to get clarity on what we were going to record this morning and it took us two hours just talking about life to get us into a place where we were like okay let's just try it (laughs) (laughs) but sometimes that just happens you know you have those other personality types that gut punch you before you're about to do a recording and then you come on here with all this head trash (laughs) You know, it's like the show must go on. Mm -hmm. It happens. All right. Well, let's just sum up a little bit about what we've just talked about and um, going back to what is the Enneagram. And so basically it's just a complex system of categorizing personalities by the motives that drive them. So one of the resources we're going to put in the show notes is a podcast that we like to listen to that's faith-based called the Enneacast. And they explained what a personality is in a very digestible way. And I was going to share that. So personality is what what our perception, our processing, and our presentation becomes in some. So we have perception of the things going on around us, the way we process those things, and the way we present after processing those things. And that is in some what our personality is. So our personality, being able to be categorized by those things, then come up under nine different numbers. And under those nine numbers, there's a lot more complexity that goes with it, but we've kept it very surface level today, which um, we wanted to do that. There's so many resources out there that have much more knowledge than we want to bring into a one-hour podcast. So, Yes, and we are going to list a lot of our favorite Enneagram books and websites. And I even have this lady I follow on Instagram that I find, I love her posts. They're very simple, but um, they, they teach me a lot about different things and help me see my family. She might post something like things you're afraid of, and then she'll go through all nine numbers and give you different things or things you like to do or dates you would like to have as a certain number. So there's all kinds of just interesting little tidbits that I find kind of fascinating. And we will put those in the notes and are excited to just have this resource for you. And I hope we will do some more in-depth podcasts in the future on the Enneagram, but we wanted to have kind of a basic Enneagram 101 that we could refer back to for people who maybe aren't as familiar with it. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's a great launching pad for so many different conversations, but there's one quote I was going to offer that I think she doesn't talk about. In this quote, she's not referencing the Enneagram, 
But I think that if we were to take a quote and say, this is why the Enneagram is good, because using it as a tool to understand yourself and to know where you have room for growth to get to this place where, and you guys have probably seen this or heard this on TikTok or the reels on Instagram, but it's Zoe Saldana, Saldana, I'm not sure how to say her last name. She's being interviewed and the, I think the question was, what is your greatest accomplishment? And she said, my greatest accomplishment is understanding me, which outside of that quote is how Gail McKine referenced the greatest thing that we can do as people, as women, is to understand ourselves. So going back to Zoe's quote, she said, I know who I am. I love who I am. I like what I do and I like how I do it. And I like the mistakes I make. I like the way I learn and I like the pace with which I learn my mistakes. I don't want to be anybody else but me. And by knowing this, I want to continue figuring out who I am. I love that. That is what the Enneagram is about. I think that's a perfect way to wrap up. <laughs> All right. Until next week, stay wild. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review. Let us know what you liked and what your main takeaways were. We'd also love to know what topics you'd want to hear about on future episodes. To connect with us further on social media or to learn more about our services, click on the links in the show notes or email us at womenofwildpodcast at gmail.com. And if you know anyone that would benefit from hearing this episode, please share it. To continue the discussion about this episode, join us in our private Facebook group. The link will be in the show notes. Until next week, stay wild.